We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Brew Hoop Podcast, the Man Did We Need That Week, huh? edition. And this is Riley Feldman with you. Uh, much like last week, because you're hearing my voice, that means at least one person is gone and that happens to be Adam Paris, who is still in whereabouts unknown. But I am happy to say that we have the king of keeping it real, the prince of petty, the sultan of saying it how it is. Kyle Carr is returned. Kyle, how are you doing? I survived the desert. It is great. <laughs> um, no, I've been good. Otherwise, just decided to have a nice, relaxing vacation out in the desert. Got a little bit lost, got a little bit sick, but everything's good. <laughs> well, and it, unfortunately for you and anybody who hasn't seen it already, they should go to your Twitter. But you flew from what I would imagine was like 80 some degree weather in Arizona, landed in Madison to a snowstorm. How much of a <laughs> jarring experience was that for you? It wasn't great yeah i was i think 80 and sunny not a cloud in sight and we had gotten a notification because we got a, we had a layover in denver that i was going to snow in denver so if you wanted to change your flight you could i was like okay it's denver it's fine no big deal and i landed got out of the airport didn't know it snowed because i refused to look out of an airplane during a flight because i am terrified of flying okay and walk outside and saw that it was snowing and immediately thought why do i live here <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, definitely not a great time to come back. We didn't. We just got our first snow the other day here in Minneapolis. So it was pretty strange watching everybody else back in Wisconsin, like for Halloween, getting a couple inches of snow. So you unfortunately couldn't have had worse timing coming back from Arizona. But the trip was fine for you. Yeah, the trip was great. Just got to relax. Got to go to In and Out. Went to Shake Shack. Just enjoyed the weather as much as we could. I got to see Andrew, which was pretty cool. Yep. So it was a good time. So you're saying, would you say, in your opinion, this will be the last thing we'll talk about here, would you say, in your opinion, West Coast fast food better than Midwest fast food? And I don't know if you have any East Coast opinions, but you can let it all out right here. I don't have an East Coast just because I've been there in a long time. With the West Coast, I don't know, because in and out their burgers are fantastic, but their fries are terrible. So it's kind of a weird draw in that aspect. But I will say the West Coast for watching sports is infinitely better than the Midwest or any other time zone just because being able to watch a West Coast game at seven it's pretty nice waking up in the morning and seeing soccer and NFL was pretty cool except if you have a team in the Premier League that plays at 4 30 in the morning that would stink but otherwise watching sports on the West Coast is better than anywhere else I will finally admit that yeah, I feel for Adam the worst because he's, I don't know if he's our sole East Coast representative at Brew Hoop, but I know that he has to get out, especially on the West Western uh, road trips like they got coming up this next week. He has to stay up until it has to be like midnight or 1am every single night to watch those games, right? So I can only imagine it's bad here in the Midwest was West Coast. Usually, I'm going to admit it, I don't catch the games live all the time because everybody has a life to go to, but the ability to tune into a Bucks game that starts at like five o'clock locally has to be such a huge boost morale wise. Like even if the team loses, you're like, well, 
it's only uh, seven o'clock, so I still have the rest of the night to go do something. So that's definitely an upside to uh, those fantastic people out on the West Coast. And to your point about, in it, do you say In and Out has good burgers, bad fries? Yes. That's kind of like, and maybe this is blasphemous. I think that's almost like Culver's. Like that's our local In and Out, where I think the burgers are really good at Culver's. The fries, it's jarring how bad they got everything else on the menu really, really down pat, and the fries are just horrific. I guess I never get the fries because I always just get cheese curds instead. So I'll never disappoint. <laughs> get your Wisconsinite. <laughs> uh, well, we're happy to have you back, Kyle. Um, and we want to one more time say thanks to Andrew for helping us out last week. It uh, really makes it a lot easier for me instead of having to go solo. So good to have my usual partner back. But thank you, Andrew, once more. And following up on last week the bucks had a slightly better week than uh the one that they had previous to last podcast they went three and one this week i'll just run down these scores real quick before we start talking about them started with a 129 112 win over the Cavs. then of course the disaster that seemed to portend what would be an awful season the 116 105 clunker versus the celtics on the road uh, they would follow it up, thankfully, with the 123-91 beating down of the Orlando Magic. And last night, we are recording on Sunday, they were able to gut out a 115-105 win against the Toronto Raptors on the second game of a back-to-back. Kyle, out of those four games, is there any big themes you wanted to hit on? Anything, anywhere you want to start with those four? Well, I would start with that the week could have been a lot better had they not dropped the game against Boston, but it also could have been a lot worse if they had blown the lead against Toronto and the Cavs. I think if they had lost one of those two, we would have a much different mood going into this morning. But um, in terms of theme, yeah, I think it was, it's kind of funny how when you put in more athletic players, the team's defense looks to be a lot better and when you decide to try and penetrate to the rim, your offense looks better as well. Yeah, I think we'll get into the, let's just put it lightly, the Wes Matthews for Sterling slash Dante rotation change that happened. We'll kind of break that down a little bit further once we get onto future topics. But I agree completely that especially the Cavs game, I guess we just talk about that real quick. You know, the Cavs aren't going to be all that great this season. Like, uh, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, they're both, they seem like they're a pretty good guard duo. Kevin Love, he's no joke. He's, you know, still a pretty decent player. They aren't awful, but generally speaking, it should not have surprised anybody that the Bucks were able to beat them. The issue with that game, and we kind of saw it happen, it, it's kind of been a theme throughout the entire season, is that the defense, especially for Milwaukee, looked pretty susceptible in the first half, at least, where it was pick and roll pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. And whoever was guarding it, part of it was Eric. He might still be coming back for his injury, but the blowing up of a pick and roll at the point of attack, wherever the pick is actually set, that was so critical last season was kind of missing, especially in that game where all of a sudden Darius Garland gets loose in the mid range and he takes a floater or, you know, the penetration Brooke doesn't commit one way or the other. So then Tristan Thompson can kind of slip in behind and get an easy bucket at the rim. Luckily, pretty much all the starters for Milwaukee did pretty well. I think Giannis had maybe his worst game of the season with only 14 points off a of 515 shooting. But, you know, Chris played pretty well. Brooke played pretty well. Eric did okay. Wes probably had his best game as a buck so far. And then uh, George Hill and Pat Connerton off the bench, they helped out a lot there. But generally speaking, it seemed like from that Cavs game to the Boston game, you survived the Cavs game just by sheer talent. And then the Boston game, 
we saw what happens or what could routinely happen when you try to force a square peg into a round hole by being like, we're just doing threes and Giannis drives. Threes and Giannis drives. And so in that third quarter against the Celtics, the Bucks scored 18 points and they gave up 38 to Boston as their 20-some point lead evaporated and they give up another 36 points to Boston in the fourth quarter. It was just frustrating to watch because it's like, when are we going to make the change? And luckily for us, it looked like Bud kind of made that change against Orlando. But I would agree that this week was kind of two-sided in that first half, not great, okay. Second half, there was an actual change and we could see the results of that right away. Yeah, and I think with the Boston game especially, it was a combination of the Bucks continuously tried shooting threes, which isn't a bad thing, and a lot of them were good looks, but they weren't going in. I think it was at one point they shot two of 18 from three in the second half against Boston, which at some point you just have to decide. You have to scrap, and it just kind of like what happened last week is just go bully ball and give it to Brooke and let him do the work down low. Also, the Celtics shooting 41% from three, it's not great. Different. Not <laughs> it's, ideal. It's not going to help. But it wasn't even the threes. It was you know floaters after floaters. Jason Tatum started getting hot from mid range. Kemba Walker started getting hot. Gordon Hayward looked for once like the all star that people were expecting him to be. And it's been kind of a theme with Milwaukee. Is yeah, they're kind of giving up the mid range and floaters, and teams are just hitting them. And I know we had this same issue last year when we were talking about, well, the defense is better because they're not allowing threes and they're not allowing shots at the rim, but now you're kind of deciding let teams beat you at the mid-range and they're taking advantage of it. And it seems like every floater has gone in when they're playing against the Bucks. And I don't know whether it's just players themselves are better at it or if it's just bad luck, but you kind of mentioned what the point of attack on the pick and roll, a guy like Colin Sexton, he's, he's pretty good with the ball in his hands and in the pick and roll real t- situation where he can attack the rim and you kind of have the same thing with Boston where with Kemba Walker and it's kind of tougher because you can't just go under the screen. You kind of have to fight. Eric has to fight through it, which with the rib injury makes it a little bit more difficult. So another issue, though, I think that should be a little highlighted was Milwaukee's carelessness with the ball, mm-hmm. especially against Boston that second half. They had 15 turnovers, and I felt like at least six of them were – Six of them were probably charges that Giannis got against Samuel Jolie <laughs> and Marcus Smart. And then the other combination was just, you know, Brooke had to travel at one point. You know, Chris Middleton had a bad pass. Eric Bledsoe had a few bad passes. And it just seemed like Milwaukee was getting really sloppy. And, you know, last year the Bucks' third quarters were fantastic. And this year it seems like they just come out flat. It's really strange, and I wonder – how much of it is a combination of this is the regular season and this team is in full. We don't care about the regular season mode. How much of it is also the fact that they're building up 15, 16, 20, 25 point leads at the half. I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> like it, it's weird because you s- understand why they might be a little lackadaisical coming out. Like last year it was like, okay, we're just going to totally murk you in the third quarter and rest our stars at the fourth quarter. Whereas this year it's like, because the system, at least up until the Orlando game, was essentially we're just going to keep hammering the three. And when they go in, like they have in a lot of these first quarters, first halves for the Bucks, it's like, wow, they're really, I mean, just demolishing this team. But when they don't, you wonder how much attrition that kind of takes on the people who are shooting, whether that be Brooke, whether it be Wes, where, yes, they are willing shooters, but because you are a shooter, generally speaking, unless you're Kyle Korver, 
you're kind of streaky and even Kyle Korver isn't exempt from that happening to him. So it, it just becomes difficult where you watch this lead evaporate kind of slowly, but surely. And once it starts getting tight, it's like, well, at what point are you going to make the change? Or are you going to keep writing this philosophy, which we saw last year, Bud is totally willing to write a philosophy and let that win games. And it worked really re- well last year. This year so far, because there's such high variance in three-point shooting, which is something like the Houston Rockets have had to deal with, we've seen a lot more stretches where, like, wow, they're going two for 20, two for you know, 18, like you said, and plus from three. And when that happens and the only other option, because everybody's so willing to take the three, is like, okay, Giannis, go, go charge at those four guys. And when Giannis plays out of control like he is want to do, he's going to rack up the fouls, rack up the charges, get a lot of turnovers, things like that. So I, I think that was what was most frustrating is that after four games, after the Boston game, it's like, okay, we've seen this happen multiple times now where we don't have or doesn't seem to have a willingness to do something different, and that's hurting the team. So that, that was probably what was most frustrating about the Boston game. Not even so much the defense not doing all that well. I, my theory about the defense, at least early on, was the fact that it seemed like Brooke and Robin to an extent not as aggressive in their defensive drop roles. And so when that's the case, whoever the ball handlers has kind of a moment, especially with Eric, like you said, probably nursing an injury, not able to come around and keep pressure on the ball handler from behind. It makes it difficult for the center, whoever it is to kind of sit there and say, I'm going to attack you, the ball handler and contest in the mid range, or I'm going to, stick to my guy. So that kind of gives whoever the ball handler is a moment. And when you have, when you're an NBA player, generally speaking, while you're probably not as efficient from the mid range, if you go into a game saying, okay, they're going to give us the mid range, there's a chance you're probably going to perform a little bit better. So that's probably, at least in my opinion, a big reason why the defense doesn't look all that great. Yeah. And especially if you're going to give them the mid range, it's a relatively open shot, you know, for a decent shooter, they're going to make that. And if you give them that space and they can throw a floater up, if there's, if it's not contested, most likely a shot's going to go in. So yeah, the defense has been a little bit questionable with the drop zone. And I think Brooke just, yeah, he hasn't been as aggressive and it's a little bit tougher just because it's not necessarily like getting rid of Brogdon and having Wes Matthews or Pat Connaughton. You're not significantly dropping off defensively in my opinion. So it just seems like Brooke is just getting attacked and it feels like he's, I don't know if he's trying to like rework it and try not, to, especially with the fouls that Milwaukee was drawing early in the season, getting into foul trouble. Maybe that has an effect on it. So I don't know defensively. And I think Brooke did a lot better last night against Toronto. And we can talk, talk about that later on, but yeah, it definitely seems like the early foul troubles that Milwaukee had kind of got into their head and they may not have been as aggressive as they wanted to be. Well, it's made even worse, I think, another thing that we saw, at least through the first couple of games, was Giannis, for whatever reason, also doing dropping like into the zone, even though he might be on the other side of the court. And as we talked about last year, his ideal role is as almost like a poacher, where he's sitting on the weak side, and he's like, oh, okay, Darius, and he launches in from the other side of the court and denies if, for whatever reason, Brooke isn't able to fully contest. And so... There have been multiple possessions where, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's him thinking, I need to help out my defense because Eric isn't as aggressive, so I'm going to kind of drop back. But it's like there would be a pick and roll, and for whatever reason, Giannis would like drop with Ursan into the paint. It's like, okay, why, why are we both here? And then Giannis would leave his guy wide open. So that's like 
Kelly Olenek over and over again. Either Giannis falls asleep at the wheel or he's prioritizing something else to help out the defense, but then his defender, or sorry, his man assignment tends to be wide open then, and then the defense is scrambling at that point. So I, I agree that we've seen better from him and the team in general these past two games, and I think we could definitely, in my opinion, chalk that up a lot to Eric Blood. So seeming to round into form, and one of the reasons, or one of the ways we can kind of see he's rounding into form especially in the Orlando game, in my opinion, was how much more aggressive he looks offensively. And even though he was taking what appeared to be every single shot in the first quarter against the Magic, he was taking them in a way that was more conducive to an open offense the way that we saw it last year, where through the first four or five games, he was a bit slower. It seemed like he wasn't as willing to attack, or if he did attack, I mean, he's still has a lot of moments where he gets like a wide open layup and he misses it but there was a lot more willingness on his part to attack and then on the defensive end not nearly losing his guy off a pick as often as he was earlier in the season and again I think it's reasonable to say this rib injury I've never had a rib injury like that but given the description I can only imagine how painful it is to play the physical style that he does and still be able to do it competently so if we gradually see improved performances from him, I'm not going to be all that shocking to say, well, of course, he, now he's healthy and good for him. And that that's going to unlock a lot for the Bucks on both sides of the ball. Yeah, especially, I mean, with a rib injury, it just hurts to even breathe. So the fact that he's running around and taking contact is, I don't know how much of a pain tolerance he's got. I don't know if he's got some kind of meds before the game, but it's, it's really difficult. It's something that you... It's like you could still do all the things you could before, but it's just more painful. You're not able to react as quickly. It makes you kind of hesitate more. And I think especially gets busted where I think we can both agree. Kemba Walker, while talented, is not a great defender. Eric could have easily blown past him plenty of times, but he was hesitant. He was not willing to drive to the hoop. And, you know, the lack of inner cancer probably gave Boston more defense just because if Cantor was played, I think Boston's defense would have been significantly worse and the Bucks would have exploited it more often. So with the Orlando game also, and same with the Toronto game, they went more of a zone look at times. Orlando kind of went with the two, three zone and Toronto went with the box and one. And when that happens, it kind of invites you to try and beat them off the dribble and get to the hoop. And, you know, when that happens, defenses are going to collapse and that gives you more shooters in the corners gets you a chance to kick it back to the top of the key and the ball and create more ball movement because everyone's scrambling so when we saw it with the orlando game and the toronto game going to that zone kind of invites eric to attack and with his maybe feeling better about the pain tolerance or not being as injured anymore because i think when it was first reported it said that Bledsoe was going to miss at least the first week and could come back the second week so Maybe just that based off of the timeline, it healed enough that he's back to himself or just had a slow start. Well, and and speaking of Eric attacking, I think this is a good time to also throw in the fact that we finally got our first real, I think Sterling, not so much. He had a couple minutes earlier in the season, but our first legitimate rotation, Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo minutes. I'll leave the floor to you, Kyle. What did you think of that move on Bud's behalf? I think it was funny because he initially rested Kyle Corbett for the Orlando game because it was a back-to-back and wanted him for Toronto. 
So it gave the opportunities to Sterling and Dante, and both of them really excelled, and they played, I think, the best games of the season at that point, especially Dante going for seven from three, and then Sterling having nine points, 11 rebounds, and just being aggressive. And because and I think Sterling mentioned it, it's like, we want to make it tough on Bud to not play us, and he's we got to force our way into the lineup. But I think Bud rewarded both of them by playing them again against Toronto. I think that made a significant difference in both Milwaukee's offense just being more willing to drive to the hoop or in Dante's case, just being able to hit his shots while on the defensive end, there's more athleticism guys are able to rotate quicker. Sterling brings that tenacity and edge that can kind of annoy an offensive player. He's right in your grill. He's going to be more aggressive, but it was good to see just because going into the season, we thought, well, we need, it was going to be a rotation of Dante Sterling and Pat Connaughton on who was going to get some of those backup two minutes behind Wes Matthews. And I think, you know, initially with Pat Connaughton, he looked good. He's apparently got a shoulder injury. So that opened the door for Dante and Sterling. They both played well. And I think it's one of those where when we were listing our preseason expectations, it kind of was a theme of go out and earn these minutes. And I think both of them are doing it exceptionally well so far. The thing that struck me watching both of them in the Orlando game, and not just them individually, um, I'll unload on Wes Matthews in a little bit. That'll be for topic three, our third segment. But what was really not inspirational, but what really struck me when they were out there is, especially in the third quarter of the Orlando game, or second quarter into the third quarter when they played, the offense looked so much better, like like comically better. And that's against an Orlando team that going into that game, they were the third ranked defense in the league you know, early in the season, still super small sample size, but even last year, they were still a pretty good defensive team. And yet they both took complete advantage of the fact that yes, they're not Malcolm Brogdon when it comes to like driving to the rim and then collapsing in a defense, but they're both more competent and willing than say Wes Matthews. And they both have a little bit higher of an athletic ceiling where even though they might not be great finishers, just the mere threat kind of makes them dangerous. And because a lot of defenses early on have really keyed in, like if the Bucks are just going to take threes, okay, we'll live and die by that. We're just going to do the Toronto defense, which people will kind of debate whether or not everybody's been aping that sort of, approach that the Raptors had in last year's playoffs, but essentially throw two, three defenders at Giannis anytime he gets close to the bank and force him to make a pass. And so when a defense is like, okay, we're going to pay attention to pretty much just Giannis. It's so valuable, especially we saw it with Eric. Once he starts driving, that opens things up. When Sterling st- starts driving, that opens things up. When Dante starts driving, that opens things up. And so you don't need to necessarily like everybody has to drive. That's, that's not, really the ideal approach probably but to have the danger of that and make an opponent pay for the fact that okay we we don't have to really pay too much attention to west for example it, it, like okay we'll contest a shot if we can but generally he's just going to shoot threes that's that's just what that guy does when you have five players who have the ability to do inside outside i think offensively speaking that gives you so much more flexibility where Maybe your still ideal offense is charging and kicking out and shooting a lot of threes, but that's punishing on Giannis, and that's probably relatively easy for competent defenses to kind of work around. And so the biggest thing that jumped out to me with Sterling and Dante is not even just the statistical output, just how much more fluid the offense looks. And, you know, Wes, God bless him, but he 
especially in the Orlando game, I saw him get blown up by like the most average picks over and over again on defense, at least. And Sterling, like I said, he's leaned out a little bit. He's a lot more aggressive in your face. And maybe that aggression leads to fouls or he's not nearly as in control as you would like. But there's something about having a guy who can replicate the attack or blowing it up at the point of attack a little bit better, at least keep the pressure on more than West can that that helps the defense out in a significant way. Yeah, and I think with everyone mentioning the Toronto defense approach from last season in the playoffs, it's one thing to use it in theory, but you need the actual personnel to do it. And when you have one of the best defenders ever in Kawhi Leonard guarding Giannis, and you can have Pascal Siakam and Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul be held defenders, it's going to be different than you know trying to throw Aaron Gordon out there with Vucevic being kind of that help defender. It's it, I get the idea in theory, but unless you have someone that flops like Kyle Lowry or Marcus Smart able to just slide in and take a charge, it's not going to work. And I think more too many people are kind of overreacting to that Toronto series and thinking, well, all you got to do is put a wall around Giannis, which is true. But at the same time, Boston tried doing that in the playoffs last year, and Giannis kind of obliterated. So you still need the personnel to do it. But with having guys like Dante and Sterling and a healthier Eric driving at the rim, it's kind of like what we mentioned. It causes the defense to collapse. It just gives you a different dimension on offense where instead of just sit, everyone standing around the perimeter and bombing threes, which isn't a bad thing necessarily if they're wide open, it's just kind of like when you get in a rut, you have to find other ways to score. And if that means going to Brooke Lopez and letting him bully his way down in the post, that's, that's fine. If that means Chris Middleton has to go on the tough shot express, that's fine. And I think it also helps Giannis when another player like Chris can, you know, step up and hit a couple shots when Eric is playing at the level that he was, you know, it's, I don't think we've had a situation when neither Sterling, not Sterling, neither Bledsoe or Middleton are playing well. That's when Milwaukee's offense is at its worst. Or if one, uh, if Middleton's playing really well, like he did against Boston, but Giannis can't do anything. you got to have at least two of your big three play well. And when that happens, I mean, it's kind of simple analysis, but when two of the three are played well, Milwaukee overall looks better. But on the defensive side, yeah, Wes Matthews was getting blown up on picks. And I think that's more to do with, he's not really, like, I'm not going to say he's not strong, but certainly it's just significantly stronger, both lower body and upper body wise. While Eric is kind of just more built, it can kind of fight through it because he's kind of more, athletically like athletically built in West Matthews while Dante he's kind of more able to kind of like squirm his way through and same with Pat Connaughton where Connaughton is more athletic than I think people give him credit for so it's just kind of different when you are able to move a little bit quicker be a little bit stronger than the other guy yeah and and I should give you know, credits of Matthews where maybe at age 33 and with how many minutes he's had, maybe he's not nearly like athletically as dominant as he used to be, but we do have to credit the fact that he's going to have a lot of IQ and he, he was like in the Houston game, for example, he was in, did excellent on defense. And a lot of it for him at this point is going to be, how do you look when you're positioning yourself? How much can you use your IQ to kind of blow things up, etc.? And when he's on ball, like staying in front of a guy, he's still pretty good. It's just the issue is when, teams tend to throw a pick at him not nearly as capable of getting around it but the one other thing that i want to uh, give a little spotlight to before we move on to our next topic Giannis seems to have 
finally gotten out of his funk. And that's weird to say for a guy who's averaged what he's averaged so far this season. But I don't think I'm the only one who would say this, or it's crazy to say that even though he had great stat lines, he seemed to be off through the first four games of the season. And since the start of the second half against Orlando and through the Toronto game, he appears to have reached his MVP level again. And what's even more than that, whether it be rebounding, the way that he's scoring, it, it, it's coming a lot easier for him. But it, it's the, some of the passes he pulled off against Toronto last night, like the no-look passes, just picking apart defenses, especially from the top of the key, like that, that's a type of facilitating that we don't normally see from Giannis just because he's so used to driving in. And so I should just shout out his stat lines against Orlando. He had 29 points, 10 or 16 from the floor, went eight for 11 from the free throw line, had 14 rebounds and six assists, seven turnovers, unfortunately there, but against the Raptors, he followed that up with a 36 point outing, 14 to 20 from the floor, seven to 10 from the free throw line. Not great, but better. 15 rebounds, eight assists, only three turnovers and four blocks. So to me, Again, like you said, with one of the, two of the big three playing well, this is really simple analysis. But when Giannis plays not just well, but at the level that we're so used to seeing him play, it, it makes things so much easier for this team. So I want to just give a shout out to Giannis for finally kind of seeming to round into form at least these past six quarters. Yeah, especially on the defensive side, it seems like he's rounding into that MVP level. Offensively, he was relatively fun. He was getting to the basket. He was still getting his buckets, but defensively, it seemed like he was a step off. And a lot of that was drawing those unnecessary fouls, getting fouled out the first two games. And especially in Toronto, I think the reason why they won that game is because Giannis defensively was just on another level. Um, you kind of look at the block that he had on Siak- the volleyball block on Siakam that led, led to the Ursan charge. That was one play. There's just there's just so many moments where Giannis's size and ability kind of shut down Siakam and made Toronto's offense kind of grind to a halt when Kyle Lowry wasn't hitting shots. And, you know, on the offensive side, he, he a lot of his baskets were relatively simple. They were all around the hoop. They were mainly dunks. Free throw-wise, it he looked fine from the free throw line. It just – a couple of them just didn't go in. I think there's only one, one trip where he missed both free throws. So at least his free throw shooting looks to have gotten better compared to the previous week, which – is important because if Giannis is going to continue getting to the, getting all of his shots at the rim and teams are going to get more physical and maybe the refs will start giving him that whistle and he's or teams just go with the hacky Giannis approach, which I don't think is happening yet. He's going to have to continue getting that six of like being 60%, 70% from the free throw line. And I, I don't know what happened the previous week. Maybe he just got into his head because we've all been saying that when he's warming up and during half times and shoot rounds, he's hitting them with no problem. Maybe it's just he doesn't have as much time during the games, but free throw wise, he's doing a lot better. But like I said, defensively is really where I think the last six quarters, Giannis has really stepped up and been that difference maker. It's, it's, so the free throw topic will probably be a sub story all year to me. It's because he dribbles the ball nine times for every free throw. That's so maddening. Even for me as a fan, like sitting like, Oh my God, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, stand, pause, pause, and hit shot and miss it. Like, like that's, it's frustrating, especially when they don't go in, but that'll be something. I don't even know how we're going to talk about that. Cause I'm not a shooting doctor. Are you a shooting doctor? Is that, 
Oh no, I was not okay. a good shooter <laughs> playing basketball growing up. Absolutely okay. not. So so we're not maybe we'll have to wait for Adam to come back to be able to fully diagnose it, but clearly something's not great and I don't know if they'll be able to fix that, but I agree completely with you saying that defensively that's where the impact is because he like I said earlier, he's been putting out the offensive output that you would expect from him and the rebounds and et cetera, et cetera. So none of that was off. It's more so those early couple of games where he seems not that locked in, that seems to have kind of gone away. And I, I, again, I want to kind of speculate how much is that maybe by design where, okay, Brooke is under a lot more pressure because our guy who's attacking the ball handler isn't nearly as aggressive for various reasons. So Giannis, we need you to do a little bit more. Maybe we can chalk it up to that. Maybe that first little stretch of the season that that'll be an outlier, but I agree that defensively speaking, he's reached, I wouldn't say another level, but when he's locked in, it makes life so difficult for no matter who the player is, no matter what their size, anything, just because he's so active and he he has such good control of his body. And it, you know, it's simply impressive to watch. It's just a lot of fun. So happy to have Giannis back. Giannis, keep killing it. Uh, Big fan. And uh, yeah, let me see here. Were there any other topics from the four games you wanted to hit? I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about the Toronto game just because it was on the second game of a back-to-back. And it was funny because Toronto had gotten to Milwaukee before the Bucks even did because they played in Orlando. I think they got in relatively late. We'll have to talk to Andrew because I know he's got the flights on deck. Flight <laughs> um, yep. Yes, he is. He is our flight guy. But one thing I kind of continue with Giannis and his defense was he was primarily on Pascal Siakam. And Siakam has been on a tear to start the year. I think he was averaging 30-something points a game. I think he had four 30-point games already. And when Giannis was guarding him, Siakam could not generate any offense at all. And it's funny with everyone talk about, well, this might be the Siakam MVP season or he can get most improved player twice in a row. And I think Giannis kind of reminded him, like, yes, Siakam is really good, but let's not get too carried away. I would have to relook and see the games that Toronto played, but Giannis, I would say more or less owned Siakam in terms of Siakam didn't <laughs> generate any offense. His three point shot wasn't going well. There were a couple times where he was at the rim, and Giannis and Siakam was just throwing up shots, hoping to get a foul call. And I think that was really important on that. And also to build off of that Toronto game, everyone looks at the third quarter and Toronto scoring forty points. Yes, that was bad and not great at all. However, there was a lot of mean regression because I think in the first quarter, Toronto had scored maybe like 12 points. or It was a low amount, and most of those were free throws. Um, they only had three field goals the whole first quarter, and I think that finally started turning around in Toronto's favor, especially Kyle Lowry was unconscious and was red hot from the field in the third quarter. I think he had 17 points, and the fourth quarter he only had two points, and that was at the last 24 seconds of the game. So... Sometimes that's going to happen, and when that does, I mean, everyone's saying, oh, Milwaukee's steamrolling tees, and it's great, but if the other team's not hitting shots, it's going to they're going to hit them at some point unless they just have a historically poor night. So that's just one thing I wanted to highlight because I know we're going to talk about the third quarter and those issues as well, but another thing I wanted to highlight was Dante and Sterling getting more burn. We kind of mentioned it earlier that initially against Orlando is because they were trying to rest players with the back-to-back, but both of them again playing, and Sterling had a nice crossover on Serge Ibaka hitting a corner three 
if he can add even just any slight threat of a three off the dribble, Sterling is going to be a great guy off the bench. And Dante just continuing to do stuff and hit threes at the same time. And I think he might, we still have to question if he can be playing at the one in case, you know, one of Bledsoe or George Hill gets injured. And I think Mitchell was talking about in our group chat yesterday where a comparison for Dante might be Fred Van Vliet, which I'm not going to go that far because I think Van Vliet's a better playmaker than Dante is. But but just once again, those two guys playing really well, continuing to make a case that they should get minutes. And again, well, a lot of this is going to be on the next topic where we talk about Wes Matthews and Kyle Corder's roles moving forward. But Milwaukee's defense was significantly better in the fourth quarter, which was why they won that game against Toronto. At the same time, this was Chris Middleton's first poor game, so hopefully that doesn't continue. But overall, Chris Middleton deserves a shot as well for how he's been playing at the beginning of the season. Yeah, just one more note on Pascal Siakam and Giannis. I I think what really exemplifies is the fact that Siakam ended up fouling out. uh, And there were, at least late in the game, it looked like they were putting Giannis on, or uh, Siakam on Giannis as the lead defender. And the thing about the Siakam Giannis matchup is like, first off, really easy for the Bucks to key on that because the Raptors run a seven person rotation. Like, I think only seven dudes got over 19 minutes and the other three guys got like four or nine minutes each. So, not a really deep team. And because of that, it makes it easier for Milwaukee to be like, okay, well, if Kyle Lowry wants to beat us from three, that's one thing, but we're not going to let Siakam get really out of hands. And as good as Siakam is and as. I wouldn't say similar, but like if you squint really hard, you'd be like, oh, he kind of plays like Giannis. The issue for Siakam is it seems like Giannis might have 80 pounds of muscle over him, and there's no loss in like his speed or agility because of all that extra weight, and that just makes it nigh impossible for Siakam to do what he normally does. And last year in the playoffs, it was like, oh, God, Ursan's trying to guard Siakam. I'm like, yes, Siakam's going to get to the rim with ease when that's the case, but when Giannis is in the way, that's – that's a living brick wall you have to get through. And oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for pretty much any player that that's nigh impossible to get through. And so I agree that while I'm not going to rejoice and be like, well, we beat the Raptors. So now everything is <laughs> fixed from last year, or it really indicates that the bucks are on the up and up because the Raptors have been good, but I wonder how long they're going to maintain that over the season. Um, a lot of good signs, especially these past two games. And it, I think I speak for everybody when I say, wow, do we really need those two games to go well? Because after the Boston game, I'm not going to say I thought the season was over, but I was maybe like four healthy steps away from that because that's part of the roller coaster of being a fan. But to see them put it on the, put it on the magic and be able to gut out a win against the Raptors who have been really good, like you said, to start the season, a positive way to end the first or the uh, second full week of basketball. So good on yeah, you, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say with, I understood people's frustration after the Boston game because the Bucs had yet to play a full, complete game. And especially when it's against Boston, which I am never a fan of losing to Boston. It's just unbearable too many times in a row. (laughs) So having that happen, plus the same issues that seemed to plague them. And when they lost against the Heat, it was the same recipe. There was definitely a lot of angst and then we'll get into this topic later, but Malcolm Brogdon played well on the same night. There, It was just a recipe for everyone to not be happy about it. I think it's also the expectations are much higher for this team. You know, we're not just going to be okay with a top four seed or even a top two seed. It's like the Bucks need to be the number one seed. 
they should be making the NBA Finals. And, you know, performances like against Boston or Miami, it's not going to be good enough. So definitely a shift in expectations as well, um, probably play more of a factor into the groin frustration that happened. But thankfully, the Milwaukee slaughtered Orlando, played four good quarters, and then gets the win against Toronto. And, you know, if it wasn't for the Boston game, it would have been a 4-0 week, and we would have been high and elated. Or at the same time, it could have been a 2-2 two and two week. And, oh, boy, this morning would have been rough. <laughs> yeah, I've been like, okay, this season, what are we going to do? We might have to fire Bud like that. <laughs> and to be to be clear. Revamp the whole roster, trade yeah, everyone. <laughs> exactly. We have to get Chris Paul. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll probably be – I imagine that being a topic as we get closer to the trade deadline. So we're not going to touch on that. But um, it, just for everybody kind of rolling their eyes at the – dramatic nature i think this is a good reminder this week and everything has been a good reminder that at the end of the day we're all fans and as much as i love hearing about the fact that we don't care about the regular season we're going to just dominate in the postseason i spend way too much of my daily time watching this team to not want them to win every game so yes when they lose in despairing fashion i and others are going to be annoyed and i respect that other people are going to take the long view and say this isn't that big of a deal but you know, if I'm going to spend two and a half hours on my Tuesday night watching this team blow a lead to the Celtics, you know, I'm not going to be happy after the fact. So if you feel like I do, totally get it. Go fans. That's what we're here for. So um, I, I think on that note, we'll wrap up our first segment here. We're going to go to a quick ad break and we'll be right back. All right. And we are back. So, Kyle, segment number three, I have it titled here, Rants, Raves, and rotation changes. So we have a couple of different topics. We have first, so dot, 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 maybe West shouldn't play that much, question mark. We have a breakdown of the new guys, Wes Robin and Kyle Korver, and how they've done so far. I have Malcolm Brogdon in all caps with look what looks to be eight exclamation points, and also chit-chatting quick about the other two-thirds of the quote-unquote big three, Bledsoe and Chris. So are there any of those four topics that really jump out to you where you would like to begin? Well... I'm going to save the Malcolm Brogdon one for last. So okay. yeah. Yes. Bring the heat. Bring the heat. <laughs> um, I guess we can quickly chit chat about Bledsoe, Chris, and Giannis. And I think each of them have had their struggles in a variety of ways. You know, Bledsoe, we've mentioned the injury hasn't been his same aggressive self. Giannis offensively fine, defensively not so much. And he's still going to barrel into guys and, they're just going to start taking charges. So yeah, so much barreling into guys, so much barreling into guys. It was worse when we didn't have somebody else to help pull the defense elsewhere, but yeah, right guys. And again, a healthier blood. So driving to the rim is going to help a lot with that. But yeah, Giannis's passing was fantastic last night. Just throwing no looks, just getting, I think there was one where the ball was rotating around the perimeter. And then Giannis just throws a skip pass to Kyle Corver in the corner, which if you're going to give Kyle Corver an open three in the corner, he's going to hit it. So his passing was very improved, and I was happy about that. I feel like Chris Middleton has quietly just been really good so far this season. Yep. I know people wanted to complain about his 11 points on 12 shots or whatever last night, and yeah, it wasn't great, but at the same time, that's his first poor game of the season. So I think Chris, if Chris Middleton continues this, and I think there's even saying, oh, why do we overpay this guy? It's like, we have to drop it. He's got, he's got paid. There's nothing more that's going to do about it. 
I think I saw someone say we should trade Chris Middleton for, I don't remember who it was. It was like, let's trade Chris Middleton for like Spencer Dinwiddie or Chris Paul. No. <laughs> I want to drop kick you through my computer <laughs> screen. So don't do that. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of those three, each of them have had a separate issue that's kind of prevented them from being at their best. But at the same time, they've played, they can always be better, but I can't complain I can't overly complain about how they've been this year. Yeah, I would agree completely. I just wanted to include this because quietly, like you said, Chris has been pretty freaking good. It, it looks, if you look at his stat line this season, uh, it threw so far per game. It, it's almost an exact mirror of his, you know, last season where he got an all-star nod. He's got 18.3 points a game, shooting 38.5% from three. He's shooting 81.3% from the free throw line. Uh, three assists per game, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I think it's pretty much the same minutes per game as well. So I think we've, we're very, at this point, we are very used to the player that Chris Middleton is. His three point uh, attempt rate hasn't gone up all that high. He's still taking 6.5 threes a game, which is a slight increase and it is a career high so far. But, you know, I, I would tend to copy what you're saying where I'm not going to bemoan the contracts day after day because it is what it is at this point. The one thing that I totally agree with a lot of people, and this is especially in like the Boston game, I don't know how much of it is by design, how much of it is his personality, but when he is the sole guy that's really getting things to work on offense, and this is why he does the mid-range game, because he sometimes can be the sole guy can that can get an ISO set like that to work. I don't know if he needs to be more aggressive in having the ball go to him or having the offense run through him when everybody else is struggling. That's the only, literally the only point that I would say we could see an improvement here, but to his credit, if he did that and he started missing a couple mid ranges, I was like, Oh my God, tough shot express. So there's really right. <laughs> no win no situation for Chris there. So I just wanted to give a shout out to him. He's pretty much replicating and slight improvements on a shooting from last season. So uh, even though he Especially, had, yeah, oh. I'll go I was going to say, especially considering he always starts the season slow. And yeah. so far that hasn't happened. That's been a great sign. Maybe it was because he played FIBA World Cup and was able to shake off that early rust. And that way he was able to get a rhythm going into the season. Yeah. I, I, and it's, it's unfortunate for him. I think in the Boston game, he got the assignment to help run with the subunits and the subunits did not do great. And his plus minus suffered for that. So I would just temper everybody early in the season. Chris, so far, at least in my mind, has not been the problem. He's been exactly what you expect from him. Could he be a little more consistent? Yeah, but he's still averaging 18.3, and he's still he's taking even more threes, et cetera. So really that little segment, I wanted to give a shout-out to Chris. Where I would like to go next, <sighs> I'm sorry, everybody, but I think Wes Matthews might be washed. And I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what Bud is going to do about it, but... I am already pretty much out on him getting 25 to 30 minutes a game and being the starter. I understand that he is a good three-point shooter. He's only shot 30% from three so far this season, but small sample, and he's getting a lot of threes up, which is what he's supposed to do. I'm just not impressed with what he provides, and what he provides would be excellent in the rotation off the bench as a role guy, Really not sure his kind of stilted offense and defense is exactly what this team needs on both ends, especially with the starters where a year ago, one through five, every single one of the players could kill you. You know, And again, 
we don't believe the Malcolm Brogdon heat uh, on your behalf for a little bit later, but part of the plus of having Brogdon was his propensity to be able to drive and make plays at the basket or be able to kick out if necessary. And Wes, he's a lot more willing of a shooter. He gets up a lot more threes and it doesn't matter what the coverage is, but doesn't seem like there's much more he can do, which is fine. He's a 33 year old guy who is here on a vet minimum, but I, I think we have to seriously start considering and it looks like we kind of already have because he only got nine minutes last night against the Raptors. And I think he only got 20 against Orlando where he'd been averaging like 24 some minutes a game. I think we have to seriously start considering the fact that there might be other options and as difficult as it may be because he was probably promised a starting job. Maybe he can stay in there for a while, but we, he kind of gets the pull right away for somebody else just to give a little bit more energy just something a little bit different to the offense. And I don't know, I don't want to upset people, but I think I might be out on the West Matthews experiment. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand it because we've kind of mentioned it. Wes athletically is a step slower than Dante and Sterling. He doesn't really provide much in terms of the offense besides his shooting, which is really good, but I, I would be okay. Yeah. With him still being the starter and having, you know, 20 minutes a game 15 to 20 minutes and getting the early yank like you mentioned that's totally fine it's just weird how i think a lot of people were just automatically like okay Wes is terrible he can't be playing on the court it's like well no he still is a good enough player to play and especially defensively i feel like defensively his iq allows him to be an asset for the bucks and you see it against uh houston you saw it against cleveland he still, and even against Boston, where he was still hustling for the ball, he was making the right reads, which is something that I don't think Sterling and Dante have yet. So it's just weird because I think it had more to do with Malcolm Brogdon's performance more than Wes Matthews himself. But when you just focus on just Wes Matthews, yeah, he is a little bit slower. His offense is kind of one-dimensional, and again, that's they're useful for the starting lineup. Get your shots up early. I wouldn't go as far to say he's washed, but I think the expectation that he was going to be this guy that can come in and get 25 to 30 minutes a game and still be enough offensively, might those days are definitely over. But this guy was also on a vet minimum deal. If you can get a starter or any contribution from vet minimum deal that's good that's good business in my opinion yeah i wonder if maybe heading forward they keep him in the starting lineup and we just see in the first quarter like okay is he hitting from three or is he not hitting from three because whatever he brings defensively i think you can get a pretty close approximation but it's like okay against the cast for example he hits a couple of threes and he looks decent okay we're going to keep him out there when against boston for example he goes one of eight from three but he still gets 30 minutes in the game not wonderful. And then against the magic, he has his equivalent of the Tony snow game with 20 minutes, zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists. And he goes over, he only takes one shot and one free throw to me. It's like, it's okay. If we have him out there just to see how he's feeling on a night to night basis. And if it's just not going, it's going to be really quick for offense or defenses to be like, okay, I'm just not going to pay attention to Wes. And then all of a sudden you're playing four on five and, when Wes is out there, the, the best option you have is to really space things out, and that makes it difficult on Giannis. So I, I wonder how quickly Bud is going to go 
in game to guys off the bench, whether it be Sterling, whether it be Dante, whether it be Hill, whoever it is, just to give the team a little bit of a different look because I do imagine there are going to be games this season where both Wes and we can say this about Kyle Corver as well. I can kind of bring him into the conversation. Those guys are going to probably win you games just off of hot shooting nights. But I, I agree with your general take that to have come into the year and expected one or both or whatever to be able to completely fill the gap that Brogdon left would be unrealistic. And we're kind of seeing that play out at least early on where, okay, defensively, good when he's on offensively, but one dimensional. And when you're one dimensional, you have the option to go to other guys who have a little bit more. And so might give you a different look. So that's just my appeal. He doesn't need to be completely out of the rotation, but we need to seriously start thinking about it's an 82 game season. He's 33. He has, you know, however many thousands of minutes on his legs already, even just for conserving them for the playoffs, it might be advisable that he's not out there 25 minutes a game. So that's just my appeal to coach bud. If you're listening. Yeah. And to be fair to him last night, he did roll his ankle at some point in the second quarter, which he went to the locker room. He came back right away. So it might not have been as bad as it initially feared, but with Dante and Sterling filling in playing well and Bud started Dante at the second half, I think it was one of those where we don't need him to come back and try and play on this bum ankle. So I think that's going to be, that has to be noted that last night was an anomaly. He did roll his ankle and I think Bud just decided it's not worth it and his replacements have played well. So in terms of West Matthews, yeah, it's one of those, we've kind of already said it. I think he's doing okay. I to expect more and yeah, conserving for the playoffs is going to be needed because there's going to be a playoff game where Milwaukee can't hit a shot. And if you can have Kyle Corver, Wes Matthews, one of them even just hit two threes in a short span, that's going to be enough potentially down the road. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting spot. And I, I, quick, I don't really, we already kind of talked about Sterling and Dante quite a bit, but the, the other thing, the huge part about Dante looking like maybe a competent playmaker is the fact that at least through the first four games, and again, Eric might've been hurt. So who knows how much, but to have a guy in Dante that could be theoretically a third guard. If the other guys don't have it going, that is such a godsend because shout out Frank Mason. I really have no idea what to expect. If we were to throw him out there for actual minutes, I'm sure he would be okay. But I think there's a dynamism to Dante's game that, Frank might not have and would give a little bit of spot minutes in place of Hill or Eric if those guys are off or they have a night off or something along those lines. And I should say, so far, I have an all bold super early, but Dante so far has an assist rate or assist percentage of 14%. It was nine, 9.7 a year ago. He's dropped his turnover percentage to 5%. It was 12.8 a year ago. And while he's not like a pre preternatural passer, you are right that through his ability to slash and his willingness to kind of pass on the move when he's, if it's on a fast break or even when he's just cutting to the basket, he gives guys like Giannis another outlet to pass to. And it's, it's, a little bit easier than Giannis having to go deep into the paint and like, okay, I'll find you Matthews 25 feet over there because you happen to be the wide open guy. So um kind of wanted to say that. And, th- and then the other two guys, and we can probably be pretty quick on this. Any real takeaways through two weeks since we didn't have you last week about Robin or Kyle Korver? Uh, I'll get, I'll get to that quickly. I do want to highlight with Dante's oh. assist percentage, his playmaking. 
He had a play where he had the ball in the wing and he saw Giannis cutting right down the middle and just gave him a bullet pass, which I have not seen Dante ever do that. So I think his shoot, his improved shooting has given him more confidence. And we were saying it earlier during the preseason. It just looks like he's been able to catch up to the NBA speed. So good on him. Um, for Sterling, I, I know you had a super early, but Sterling is shooting 57.1% from three. He's leaned out and had doubled his rebounding rate. I think the rebounding rate will stay around the same. His free throw rate going up is huge. And, and I don't know about the shooting at 57.1%, but if he's shooting it from the corner, he's automatic from there. So Sterling definitely looks to have been another guy where the game is starting to slow down a little bit more. I think he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands and, you know, getting that kind of production is going to be huge for him and the team. I think he has a different skill set than Dante. He's kind of more of the, I'm going to get the ball and I'm either going to bulldoze my way to the rim or I'm going to get a corner three and get that shot off. While with Dante, it's kind of a, I'm going to be more of a playmaker, but you kind of need that skill set, especially with Brogdon God, blood so banged up, Giannis being the only guy. If he can improve his free throw rate for a guy of his size and his ability, I think him getting the free throw line you know, six, seven times a game would be huge. Yeah, and here's the thing about Sterling as well. Like, he's a guy who's, I believe he's in a contract year. So there's that addition. And he went into the end of last season when Malcolm was out. He was the starter, and he was the starter for much of the Pistons series. Uh, I think he got pulled pretty quick in the Boston series when game one disaster happened. But this is a guy who he has everything to play for because he's got what I would assume is probably going to be his one really big contract coming up. He's at, he's 24 now going to turn 25 in February, but he, he has all these expectations coming in. And then all of a sudden Wes Matthews shows up and he just gets to start a role because that's what was promised him. Like I, I would be super pissed too. Like the amount, the amount of times I, as a fan and I'm sure Sterling as well. And a lot of the other guys where it's like, okay, Wes gets the rebound. Okay. Here comes the fast break. And Wes is moving at two miles an hour and now he's <laughs> set into a half court offense. Like, okay, I, I, I expect not ginormous things from Sterling, but it would be totally not surprising for all those things to kind of come together. He's leaned out, but he's still got a lot of strength. Like there's every possibility he has his breakout season, which will be really good timing for him. And honestly, really good timing for the rest of the team as well. Yeah. Now they talk on the other two players with Robin and Kyle Corver. I think Kyle Corver is exactly what we thought he would be. He's going to be a guy. He can get a quick trigger. He's able to just shoot it while moving. Only J.J. Reddick's the only player I can remember the Bucks having that had that ability to do it well. And I think the biggest thing was in the Boston game, he had a four-point play. He just curled around the screen, fired up a shot. He got fouled. He shot an M1. Thank you, Greg Monroe. Hope you're doing well over at Bayern. And <laughs> drained it. Four-point play. And those are the kind of plays that Kyle Korver would continuously have against the Bucks. So to have him on your team is huge. I don't think there's really anything else he's old he could still shoot though <laughs> he's old he's old, he he's still old. Shoot. like i don't yep. he is exactly what we thought he would be going into the year robin lopez sucks i, I have to say it not, he sucks he has been i think offensively has been a disaster he's yeah. got a couple times where he just gets a hook shot and i and this was my bigger concern with robin lopez like you're really gonna pay the room exception for this which you know defensively okay 
he's been fine. He hasn't been great. But offensively, it's just it's one less guy that is a threat. You don't even have to worry about him if you're a center. Just kind of just play help defense and hope that whoever is the playmaker doesn't, you know, get a pocket pass or kneels a pass over to Robin for an easy layup just because yeah, the offense, ugh, he's been he's been rough to watch and he got first quarter minutes yesterday and honestly i don't think he played at all in the second half and if he did he got a quick <laughs> yank it it's not the, great the fears i, I had about robin lopez are playing out exactly how i thought it would i i would be interested i have to go back to our uh our free agency because i think it's just me and you breaking that down I, it would not surprise me at all if you had that peg completely from the start uh i just kind of go through his uh stats so far Played in all six games. Uh, I think he's got, let's see what his minute per game, about 14.8. So decent, you know, like, so that's rotation fine. That's guy. fine. 4.2 points a game, you know, whatever. Like, you're the rotation big, no big deal. Uh, shooting 40% from the free throw line. He's shooting uh, 25% from three. And his three-point attempt rate, I would have to pull it up. But definitely the one credit, he's made three threes so far this season, which I believe we're one away from matching two years ago and we, he needs four more makes to beat his like career record threes made in the season. Part of the issue offensively is like, and I've seen a lot of people bring this up and I, I think the biggest name would be Paul Pressy 25 over at real GM shout out. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about real GM here, but just shout out to that guy. Yeah, the whatever. issue is <laughs> yeah, exactly who cares. The issue is like, the promise of Robin Lopez doing a Brooke Lopez and turning into like sharpshooter so far looking like that's not going to happen, which is problematic. And if he's not going to be a sharpshooter, this is just like Giannis where it's like, dude, you see him in the gym, bro. He is killing it and pick up like, okay, that's fine. That's great. But like, (laughs) what about the actual game? And so we need to find other ways to involve him, whether or not that be, Hey, let's just go to the paint with him because he's not like an all-star paint creator like his brother is but a lot more competent there than he is from three and it's like yes the five out system is great but maybe robin isn't fit for a five out system and that's not the end of the world because he's like the eighth or ninth player in the rotation but if that's going to be the case and he's going to get 15 minutes a game let's let's use those in a smart way and if that like takes a load off Giannis if they're sharing minutes or you know help helps keep an offense kind of flowing when it's like five out but one of our guys on the on the outside here can't actually shoot that's inherently a problem so maybe saying he sucks was a little strong on my part but uh, uh, <laughs> he's been bad he's not been great but the other thing i want to say as well you have to question a man's judgment who we don't know how much he spent for this we don't know how it happened we've only gotten minor details ladies and gentlemen robin lopez is stuck in a disney memorabilia sting involving <laughs> what i what I believe is like at least local Orlando authorities, potentially other law enforcement agencies. I have to question a guy, even though he probably was not the main guy that got this memorabilia. I'm a barely functioning dumb person with no money. And even I, if I was going to spend some large dough on memorabilia, would not go through my accountant who knows a guy to get this memorabilia. Did that story coming out kind of change your perspective on Robin as a buck so far at all, Kyle? Uh, not really, but okay. it did raise, but my question was, do you really need the memorabilia that badly that you have That's to, like, <laughs> do you need it that badly that you have to like go through like some dark web nonsense? Like, 
you're Robin Lopez. You have the money. Just like reach out to the guy yourself and be like, hey, how much? What? Like, it just feels like this is something that I would do if I wanted to get like some obscure, obscure European soccer team apparel. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's essentially like when you buy knockoff jerseys. Like, okay, we're we're hoping this is going to be what it is, and we're just going to spend the money and hope it gets here. And also, like, where does he have it in his house or apartment? Like, does it? Is it in a hermetically sealed case for people to look at? Like, just I don't get memorabilia collections in general. I understand they're big Disney people, and thank God the Orlando trip is done, so we don't have to hear about that over and over all season long. But I don't even know what is he doing with it. Does he wear it? I'm assuming it's too small for him. I I don't know because I will say from a memorabilia standpoint, I have slowly accumulated every Ford Madison thing that's out known a man apparently and yeah. my wife really likes emphasizing that so i can kind of <laughs> see where you kind of just start getting stuff and then it just turns into oh i have a bunch of stuff let's make it memorabilia yeah but at the same time you gotta realize you don't need it <laughs> yeah or there's more reputable ways to go about it like you don't need to go to craigslist especially like it's just not something you have to do and i, I should admit for all my fountain pen people out there, I, I have gotten back into fountain pens and this last week had national fountain pen day. So I understand collecting items, but it's just, I don't know, man, if you're going to be dropping a couple thousand, you probably need to do more than asking you like, Hey, is this stolen? The guy says no. And you're like, okay, <laughs> like showing some poor judgment there, Robin. So uh, improve on the court and I'll stop talking about it. But until then I will bring it up probably once a week on the week. Just FYI. That's fine. Yeah. I am not a fountain pen person. I, I don't know. I never. I've, I don't think I've ever written with a fountain pen, so maybe that's why. Yeah. It re- so th- this is totally unrelated to anything having to do with basketball, but that's fine. <laughs> I write in cursive because my print takes a long, long time, and my cursive still isn't all that good to look at. But when you're with a fountain pen, it's a lot easier in your hands in general. At least that's what I found. And these are like my collection are super cheap. It's a Pilot Metropolitan, a Diplomat Traveler that I just purchased the other day. Neither of them are like cutting edge, but for somebody like me, and I know a lot of people do them for like the calligraphy aspects or whatever, it just makes your handwriting look nice. It's just easier on my hands personally to write. So that's uh, why I'm back into the game. So no, no hate against those who use ballpoints. Just shout out to my fountain pen people. I've seen the download numbers. It's got to be one of you who's listening right now. So shout out to that guy. Yeah, I was going to say for me, I, my handwriting is just terrible regardless and most of my work is on a computer nowadays so i think my weird obscure collection might be can koozies (laughs) and i really and i realized this when i went on a road trip a month ago at every place i got a can koozie whether it was from the local brewery that we were at or just like someone handing it out i just have a lot of can koozies from all over i don't know that and it's not like i mean i drink beer but it's not to the point that i need a can koozie because it's it's winter right it's like fall slash winter i'm not gonna need it for you know eight months from now but (laughs) well how many so if you were to estimate how many you have just ballpark it how many do you think you have i think i'm closer to like at least 30 right now oh my god that's a lot of can cookies again i got i think i got like six just from that road trip in september and then i had i've had a few since college because I got one for the university, then I got one for going to Minnesota, and we got one in lacrosse, and people hand up can koozies as like a, you know, like those swag items you get when you go to a career fair. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. they would hand those out, so it's like, okay, I'll take one of those. 
Again, going to a brewery, they have it, so it's like, cool, I'll take one. There are so... It, to your credit, there are far more expensive hobbies and collecting things to have. So if you're going to choose any obscure item to collect, can koozies from around the country and at various events, definitely top of the list in terms of not going to be hitting you in the budget when you're Yeah, and I'm pretty sure together. most of these were given away so I didn't have to spend money on it, which is always nice. I like to imagine that Adam collects ragu jars as of like a year ago. So Adam, <laughs> if you're listening, send us a picture of your ragu jar collection, whether or not I hope or they're whatever out, I'm assuming. obscure collection you got, whatever obscure collection. He's got to have something like, come on, he lives in Philly. You have to have some sort of weird collection. Yeah. So I think now we've kind of talked about that. The final topic that we want to hit on before we hit the schedule Again, I'm going to clear out, Kyle, I have here, Malcolm Brogdon, all caps, eight exclamation points. Let it rip. All right. So, yes, we understand Malcolm Brogdon, really good player. Would love to have him on the Bucks. He's not on the Bucks. He's on the Indiana Pacers. He's played really well to start the season. I'm going to look up those per-game stats real quick while you're reading this. Yeah, you go ahead with that. that. Hold on. <laughs> because I understand where it would have been nice for the Bucks to keep Malcolm Brogdon. And I will admit that if the owners were primarily, and it seems like the owners were just not wanting to pay it to not go into the tax when they said we'll go into the tax. Okay. That's on the ownership. But at the same time, if they had gone into the repeater tax, we would be complaining about it. If Malcolm Brogdon was getting paid the 23 million and not producing at the level that he has in Indiana, we would be complaining about it. I mean, hell we complain about Chris Middleton you know, averaging 20 points a game, and that was him being underpaid at the time. So I think we just need to reconcile with the fact that Malcolm Brogdon didn't want to be in Milwaukee because he th- views himself as a point guard. Milwaukee was not going to play him as a point guard 90% of the time. He would have done it in spot minutes for Eric Bledsoe. He would have, you know, maybe done it with a bench unit. His usage is significantly higher with Indiana because he is the main offensive playmaker, especially with Miles Turner being injured and Oladipo still not healthy. So we have to realize all of those things where higher usage means you're going to score more points. You're going to get more assists. You're going to have more times with the ball in your hand to do whatever you want. His effective field goal has dropped. His overall efficiency, efficiency has dropped. That is the point I want to make is we have to get over the fact that Malcolm Brogdon is not on the box. If you want to continuously scream to the void that the owners are being cheap, fine. I understand that aspect, but you can't, you cannot complain about the owners being cheap and Malcolm and not wanting to pay Malcolm Brogdon, but then at the same time overturn and complain about Malcolm Brogdon not producing at the salary that he did. I'm still on the mindset of Malcolm Brogdon is not worth 20 something million dollars a year. One, because of his health. Two, because of his role. And I thought when they got Wes Matthews and Kyle Korver, plus the improvements of Dante and Sterling Pat Connaughton, you could slowly and by bits and parts replace that production that Brogdon provided. I don't – I think we're getting over-fascinated with what Malcolm Brogdon is doing. He is no longer on the Bucks. He was great. I still love the guy. But we have to move on. This is kind of like the anti – it's kind of like when the Bucks did didn't bring back Jabari Parker and every time he made a miscue on defense or was throwing up a bad shot we kind of just highlighted and laughed I think it's the opposite end where now (laughs) we just get angry and upset about it's like just freaking move on people like it's not needed we I think everyone will admit Malcolm Brogdon is good and he would have been great to have on the Bucks 
But at the same time, I don't think he was worth 20 million. And I'm sure I'm going to get blasted about it on Twitter, but people are like, well, maybe keeping Brogdon and not Bledsoe. Okay, but then we were all complaining about how Malcolm Brogdon continuously would just over-dribble and not look at Giannis and not pass it to him in transition. All this nonsense that everyone was complaining about it last year, and now he's doing it in Indiana, and suddenly it's, oh, we should have kept him. No, you can't do that. Again, you can't complain about Brogdon's faults, and then when he has those same faults at Indy, talk about how the Bucks made a mistake. Again. If you want to say the owners are being cheap, fine. I will excuse that one, and I will understand that one. Because if your argument is you have a championship contender, you should have kept Brogdon just so the Bucks could still have that championship contender level with a good player on the team, that is totally fine. But you cannot say at $20 million with the ball in his hands or and taking up more usage that Brogdon would have been the same player in Indiana that he is in Milwaukee. Because he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have the same offensive role. He wouldn't have the same offensive responsibility. He just simply would have just done what he did last year at a significantly higher salary that I would not have felt comfortable paying him based off of his production and his health concerns. Rant over. (laughs) Real deep breath. That has been built. I've been building this up all summer and preseason and the first two weeks of the year. And I, I finally got it out. I'm, I'm glad we were in good space for that. The, on, <laughs> the only counter, the only counter I'm going to have, I am a Malcolm stan. We, we, you and I had the famous, uh, what, what was the name of the series? The point counterpoint, I think it was. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. We had the famous point counterpoint about Malcolm Brogdon. So this, this is this cuts deep for both of us. The, <laughs> only, <laughs> the only counter I'm going to have is this. I saw a lot of ridiculous people act like Malcolm Brogdon wasn't shit after he left Milwaukee. Unacceptable. I'm going to leave it at that. And I shouldn't leave it at that because it makes it worse when Wes Matthews looks like a pumpkin. But for the record, here are through six games, here are Malcolm's averages so far, okay? So 34.2 points a game, or 34.2 minutes per game, sorry. That is up. That is a career high. He is averaging 22.6 points. His shooting, 44.6 overall, okay, you know. About about what he's been doing, yeah. 36 from three, he's getting up five threes a game, so definitely it's hurting there. He is shooting 96.8% from the free throw line and getting 6.2 free throw attempts a game, 10.2 assists a game, and 5.8 rebounds a game. So, okay, the statistical output, freaking crazy. On top of all that, his assist percentage is 47.4. That is unbelievable. I, like, That's not sustainable. <laughs> and literally, like, it's impressive, but it's not sustainable. And it's going to drop even more when Oladipo comes back. It's so it, you, it's so true. I just think it's hilarious. Like He goes over there. And again, it's so it's completely an outlier right now because he is the guy. But... I just want to give a shout out to my guy, Malcolm, getting paid and doing everything he wants to. So, yes, Indiana sucks. It looks like in a, we really hope they don't suck too bad because we want that uh, draft pick as soon as we can. But it's uh, it's going to be a topic. I mean, I appreciate the rant, Kyle, and I, I don't see us bringing it up all the time. But everyone should just <laughs> prepare themselves mentally because the more that Wes Matthews goes zero for zero for zero for zero, you know, we're going to be like, okay. Why is he out there again? And Malcolm's out there doing crazy stat lines. So I get why people are bringing it up. Uh, I'm sure it's annoying for everybody, but 
we knew going into the season that it was going to be one of the topics of discussion because it's a long year and what the hell else are we going to talk about? So that that's also true. Yeah, <laughs> that's my counter to the uh, Malcolm. But generally speaking, I agree. And I, as much as I like being a troll and putting up fake polls about whether or not 33 year old <laughs> Tony Snell is more valuable than 26 year old Malcolm Brogdon. I don't see myself even following all that closely, whatever Malcolm's doing. It's just, people are going to keep bringing it up. It's going to be annoying. Try not to kill each other online if at all possible. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying Malcolm Brogdon is not good and I'm glad that he got his money and he got the role that he wanted. I've, Fully understand that. It just wasn't going to happen in Milwaukee, and he understood it. And for everyone saying that Brogdon hated Milwaukee, not completely true. Yes, he called it a segregated segregated city. Well, no shit. Like, everyone knows that. <laughs> Come on. What? <laughs> like, what I know. Shocker. But, yeah, him, him saying that does not mean he didn't like Milwaukee. He has been saying it since all summer. He wants the ball in his hands. He views himself as a point guard, and Milwaukee didn't. The end. Okay, that was good. That was really productive. But I, I thought. understand the comparison to West Matthews when West Matthews is not playing this well and Brogdon's out here crushing it. Yeah, that's a fair argument to be <laughs> like, well, what's going on here? But yeah, yep. well, and, and again, they've if Malcolm was on this team, he'd have a different role. It would be completely different. So it's just it's really tough because that's that's the new guy who's the starter and Malcolm's elsewhere. So that's just it is what it is. So that that was I think that was productive for us. Hopefully everybody else listening as well to get their Malcolm feelings out, but uh, I do not, I do not anticipate it getting brought up anytime soon, at least on this pod. Uh, I think yeah, the probably not. final couple of topics we'll hit here before we wrap it up. Uh, the Bucks have a Western conference road trip coming up. They have four games. Uh, we have Monday at Minnesota. I, unfortunately I must admit, I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it because we have a dog now and the dog needs to get watched. I hope to be able to go and get good tickets and hassle, but they do Monday up here in Minneapolis. Wednesday, they head out to LA to face the Clippers. Friday, they go to Utah to face the Jazz. And then Sunday, they finish the week at Oklahoma City before they return back to Milwaukee thereafter. Kyle, it's almost time for Vulture Talk. I have to go Google around to see if there was anything new this week, but those four games, thoughts and predictions. It's going to be interesting because Minnesota won't have Carl Anthony Towns because of his quote-unquote fight and subsequent Twitter in your feelings, beef, millennial style with Joel Embiid. So he will not be a part of the game. But the Timberwolves also won last night against the Washington Wizards. So I don't know. I think in terms of offense, Minnesota might still struggle because Carl Anthony Towns has been fantastic offensively. Um, I expect to win there. Now, in the case of the dog, Riley, I don't know how Ali is. But I think if you you can leave him alone for a few hours, right? Question mark? Well, so the issue with that is we're gone during the day, so it's like okay, it the it, the thing would be I would be fine going to the game by myself. Not the first time I've done it. The issue is my fiance would like to come along with, and right. unfortunately, if Catherine comes with, then the issue is Ollie will have been in there for like whatever seven hours during the day, and then however late in the evening because he still gets created. So uh... th- that's what's holding me back right now. That's it's it's not anything other than that. So we'll see. Maybe I'll be able to find a way to get to the game we'll see if if there if you follow me on twitter if there are pictures from the game you will find out that i was able to make it that's fair i was gonna say yeah geo we stopped creating in midsummer and that's kind of help where we'll still take him out but he mainly just lays on our bed and doesn't really cause too much chaos thankfully so i wish i wish yeah it's (laughs) our talk 
yeah, that's fair. But in terms of the other games, um, yeah, expect to win at Minnesota. LA Clippers should that's going to be an interesting one, especially if Kawhi doesn't play. Yeah. If he does play, I think he's going I think Doc Rivers is going to put him on Giannis, kind of saw what Toronto did. Milwaukee lost at the Clippers last year. And that was kind of a weird game. It was, I think, like Montrez Harrell was just an unstoppable rolling big yeah. man. Yep. You know, Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, those guys are dogged defenders. Um, I actually respect them because they play defense and don't flop around, but can still <laughs> be a pain in the butt. Uh, yeah, they just have a lot of weird parts. And I think how they play without Kawhi will be interesting. So I'm still, I'm going to say Milwaukee loses that one just because I can feel like one LA nightlife. I know it's only a Tuesday night, but it's still LA nightlife. It's still, LA, it's, yep. under, it's still LA. So that I can see a loss there. Um, Utah, Giannis loves dunking all over the Utah jazz. And I think that's going to continue. So that's a win. And OKC will get a great reminder of the Chris Paul, Yes. trades and maybe we should yes. trade for Chris Paul yep. and everything. I'm going to bang my head against the desk that game, but I'd say a three in one week. Um, I I just don't know about Milwaukee playing at the Clippers. They look to be really, really good. They look to be deep and LA nightlife, man, undefeated. <laughs> undefeated, never lost. Undefeated, never lost. I, uh, I'm going to go slightly more pessimistic. Who would ever have guessed? And Adam, if you're listening, I'm sure you'd do the same. I'm going to guess two and two this week. Uh, wins at Minnesota and Utah. Worried about the Clippers just because they look really good. And we'll see how Kawhi does. If he play, if he doesn't play, obviously that changes things. The thing about the OKC game, I was, you, you beat me to the punch. Chris Paul, he might have like a 40.25 assist game just to be like, hey, trade for me. That's how, That's what that game is going to be. So... I uh, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. might and, I might have to avoid Twitter. I'm not tweeting on the Brewhub account that game. I I can't. Luckily, <laughs> luckily for us, because we'll be recording Sunday, we'll probably miss that game. So so even if he does have an amazing game, we can avoid having to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna say two and two. Uh, I think OKC. There are no chumps. They're playing a lot better than I think anybody expected. So it would not shock me at the end of a long road trip if they drop that. The Bucks drop that. Uh, for Vulture Talk, two things. One, still don't have a bumper for that. So we'll have to wait for Adam to come back to design it. And unfortunately, I don't think we had a Dante's Inferno this week either, but I don't even have the clip for that. So no big deal. I, I think the whole thing could just be, I think this whole episode could be a Dante's Inferno. It's, it's true. Yeah, we should. That's that's the name of the podcast. Whatever I said at the top, erase that. It's Dante's Inferno this time. <laughs> Dante's uh, Inferno and everything is fine. The two pieces for Vulture Talk this week. Uh, looking through, looks like belatedly from Tom Hollinger and The Athletic. Uh, the Raptors are a chief pursuer because they're doing max cap space that summer, blah, 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 whatever. The other thing didn't say it in as many words, but they're producing a Giannis film for Disney plus, uh, the, the producer is the guy who produced the film 300 interesting choice on that from like a cinematic and theme aspect. And then I didn't see, I haven't seen either film. The writers were the writers for a private war about a, uh, war journal war correspondent who like served in the middle east or something so interesting choices for who's going to be putting together i'm curious whether or not this points right back to the magic again because that's where disney is located (laughs) or if we read between the lines and say la hollywood i don't think Giannis is performing in this biopic but that's that's all i got for vulture talk there was really nothing of interest which is a relief i guess i hope this segment's more interesting but 
I yeah, the people that are making this movie in the past, based off of three hundred, I don't. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird. Choice. It's really strange. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to think of that. Like 300 was an okay movie and the sequel <laughs> was bad. There was and another I, one. Hold on. How do you yes, go? There, okay. There's another, there's a, there's another 300 movie. It was terrible. Is it 600 is like, no, just multiplying. I don't even remember what it's called. I I'll just remember Google it, was, it, real quick it was not talking. good, Hold on. but I wanted to talk about this because I didn't have a chance to last week when you and Andrew did with the whole Harvard, like Giannis Harvard situation. Oh yes. Bring it up. Go. When I first heard about it, it made sense to me because it, it was like, yes, if, a, if I said, I tweeted, I was like, if your place of employment is underperforming and looks like it's going downhill, you leave that job to find a better job. And that's no different for Giannis. I understood it initially when he said that. And then the, I was like, well, that quote was also in April, which I don't know what Giannis was doing in, in the Celtic series to be talking to people at Harvard, but whatever. That's okay, fine. So all of it made sense. And then he, you mentioned he went on this fake news thing, which I don't know why you would say that. I don't know why. Like, I don't know what Giannis was thinking initially. It was a weird choice of words. And I think Giannis's English is good enough now that I don't I don't think he gets the benefit of the doubt anymore. Yeah, you can't play the dumb foreigner card, dude. <laughs> right. Like, you've been here long enough. Your English is pretty good. Like, you, you can't use – you don't get a pass on it. Maybe, like – I just thought it was weird how everyone just freaked out about it. Cause it's like, you guys are really making a big deal out of a quote in April. And of course, all the news outlets mention it and talk Man about it. it. Yep. I guess. Yeah. For me, it was, if your job, if your place of employment is going downhill and you don't think it's performing at the level that you would like, you find a new job. It's the same with Giannis. Let the man live. But Giannis don't try make it seem like it was fake news ever again. Yeah, the issue with my argument was uh, I was hoping the Harvard researchers would have busted out that quote by now, and as of today, we haven't heard it. So, right, it's weird because like, it was it fake news. Said, it's a he said, she said, but no one has any video of this, which I'm shocked at this point that no one's yeah. gotten it. Someone get someone get uh, Colleen Rooney on the case. Uh, she's a great detective, and now I've completely gone off topic with soccer Twitter. That's a whole side story. <laughs> Shout out shock, soccer Twitter. And I believe, don't quote me on this, I believe the blog father, the founder and greatest Bucks blogger of all time, Frank Mann, I believe he is a Harvard alum. So Frank, not sure if you're listening. I know Locked on Bucks, you're doing what you got to do. But if you can pull a couple of strings, we'd appreciate it. Get that info, break some news. The, uh, the other thing, <laughs> this is a fitting note to end on, the sequel to the movie 300 was called 300 rise of an empire i literally never heard of it until now but you know what it grossed 337 million at the box office Ow. so i'm just gonna <laughs> stf you because I, I i literally i had no idea there was another mill where do you even go after 300 but okay that was that's why i was confused <laughs> and i guess it was like following more like the wife slash widow yeah but it was still it was just bad yeah well here's the issue with disney being the producers disney's not in their game right now Let's be honest, live action films, all their remakes, pretty much they've all sucked to a movie. So I will. Hey, the Jungle Book was really good. Uh, mm. I like the Jungle Book. That one was well done. The other, the Beauty and the Beast, meh. Lion King, I I love Donald Glover, so I just ignore everything else. (laughs) 
I'm trying to think what other live actions they've had. They got Mulan coming. Mulan is probably my favorite original oh, Disney that's animated. That's going to be movie. either fantastic or terrible. It is, it's I think not it might be, be. in between. People are going to be mad because there's no singing. I get it because what is it? Make a man out of you. One of the greatest Disney songs of all time, maybe ever. And a girl worth fighting for. Great yes, a girl worth fighting for. Also great. I love a couple of the lines in that one. Just chef kiss. It's really, really good. Uh, I, I do not go into the Giannis live action biopic. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll probably also have a lot of cheesiness to it. I, I do not watch movies just at all. So I do not expect maybe one of those podcasts. If it's like mid season, we'll just do like the, we'll do the film review instead of talking about the game. How about that? Yeah. All star break. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yes. All right. Kyle, any last things before we wrap it up here? Um, I don't think so. No, I think I got all my rants and tidbits out of the way. Okay, wonderful. Well, good to have you back. This is good. It was. Uh, I'm glad we got a lot of energy out, a lot of good talk. Thank you, Bucks, for going three and one this week. A tough, tough road trip up ahead. So, we will be back next week. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. And uh, if you have any topics or anything that we're missing, you really want us to rant on, you can find me at Riley Feldman on Twitter. Kyle, where can they find you? I am at Kyle Coche. And if you want to message Brew Hoop, you can do it at Brew Hoop as well. Yes, Kyle, the Twitter god behind Brew Hoop for this little inside baseball for those who don't know. But once again, I want to thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.